Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Chinchilla Squeaks. Just a discussion and link show today. Uh, so I've been up to a fair bit the past few weeks. I am finally taking some time off and getting on top of lots of things. So a lot of these are related to things I've been working on, and there's going to be much more coming up uh, soon. But no interview. I do have some interviews in the can to edit, but I haven't done that yet. I wanted to clear out my links backlog first. Let's begin with something on TechCrunch from Frederick Lardinois. Mozilla looks to its next chapter. Mozilla is a company that I've always sort of wanted to love more than I do, maybe. I always sort of feel like I never really know where they're going and how Firefox is sort of uh, has a very mixed uh, history. It goes back and forth about it being good or not and successful or not. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are stalwarts with it and a lot of people who don't really discover it. And, you know, it has a, a, a sketchy history. They've tried various, well, not sketchy, uh, inconsistent history, maybe. There's a lot of ways that Mozilla has tried to make a profit outside of predominantly its search deal with Google, which is difficult, you know, when you... When you rely on your biggest competitor for your main income, that's a problem. Its revenue is actually up, but search partnerships and ad revenue subscription search partnerships, I think, is probably the Google deal. I'm not sure. It's hard to say. But some other things they have here, Mozilla VPN, Mozilla Developer Network Plus. I think this was one of the more controversial ones. I think it was used to be free, and now they've monetized it some way. Pocket, which I do use, but only the free tier. $57 million of its revenue, but that's out of $585 million. So that's quite a lot. Um, and then ads on the new tab in Firefox and Pocket, which, you know, I feel like the community that are likely to use Firefox are probably a little bit uh, disliking of that, but that's, um, that's the way it is. They've got to make money somehow, I suppose, to keep all those engineers employed. And uh, so this was from a State of Mozilla report they issued about a month ago, looking at what's next. And in this article, he spoke with CEO Mitchell Baker and the Chief Product Officer, Steve Texera, who actually came from Twitter, (laughs) Um, and what they're up to next and what they're going to do and sort of covering, you know, obviously the, the biggest business hits that everybody has had over the past year. Um, Mostly talking about how things have just slowed down, but not actually crashed. They're not public, so they don't have to justify themselves to, uh, to, 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 to shareholders, which is interesting. It gives you an interesting perspective. I think sometimes a perspective that more companies could be uh, uh, looking at following, you know, Often this endless drive for growth is driven by shareholders, but you can be a for-profit company and not have to be constantly chasing growth. That's a whole other bigger discussion. But the interesting thing, of course, is that most people think of Mozilla for Firefox, but it's not really their biggest money spinner at all. Uh, maybe in a, you could think of that in a similar way to, to Google with Chrome. It's how a lot of people think of them, but it's not how they make money. They talk a lot about growth on mobile. I sort of wonder about that. You know, on every major mobile operating system, Mozilla has to fight to be installed as opposed to the two defaults that tend to be there. So hard to say. They have done a lot of things with that. 
Um, they've been, again, working very hard to improve Firefox, but it's still hard to compete with the three big other vendor, um, sort of browser vendors now, which is Apple with Safari, Google with Chrome, and Microsoft with Edge, which is effectively Chromium. But um, it's a brand that people recognize. I don't know how many people install it on mobile, but hard to say. But the interesting thing is I found on top of this, despite this aspect that they possibly have their own struggles with their finances, they still also have a venture fund, $35 million, which is um, is minor in uh, fund sizes, but it's specifically around privacy-respecting features. So that's interesting. It's I would think that the sorts of projects that uh, that are in that field would find, you know, a few million actually quite beneficial. So that's not a bad thing. And that was it. Uh, that's basically it. I, I don't know. It's a company that I've always wanted to have more interaction points with, but every time I've sort of gone into trying a product or even looking at Firefox, I'm always kind of left like, eh, I don't know. I don't really need it. So, I, but I still sort of want them there. <laughs> So it's an interesting contradiction there. It's like, I want them to exist, but at the same time, I've never been massively compelled by anything they make. But still, I want them to exist, and it's good to hear that they are still there and still keeping an eye on the future. And maybe I should keep another eye on Mozilla and on Firefox. In the bad news, obviously, there's a lot of layoffs and problems with tech at the moment, with tech hiring freezes and all these sorts of things. And it's really starting to show how a lot of projects that tech companies were just letting sit there in the background and do their own thing in the good times. Now we're hitting the bad times. We're starting to see axes fall and revealing the real uh, success or lack of from some of these projects. And one really big one that surprised, I think, many people was Alexa. Alexa is a colossal failure. This is according to Ron Amadeo on Ars Technica. On pace to lose $10 billion this year, eliminating 10,000 jobs uh, overall from Amazon, and they are the hardest hit unit. It's been around for about 10 years. A lot of people think, still think of it as synonymous with voice assistants, but it has lost $3 billion in the first quarter of 2022 alone. Um, and generally, it's it's sort of said that Jeff Bezos used to kind of just let it do its thing and ignore this lack of success. And now there are new CEOs, Andy Jassy at um, at uh, at Amazon. I guess he's not so for forgiving. I think the thing that really hit me was the the more looking at the the market as a whole. So the general state of voice assistance is not as healthy or as big as as people hoped it would be at this point. And uh, so out of the big three, basically ignoring Bixby and then these ones, Alexa is now in third place. Google Assistant has 81.5 million users, and this is just in the US, I think. Siri, 77.6, and Alexa, 71.6. These numbers are pretty close, I suppose, but they're all relatively small. And the fact that uh, Google has... Rushed ahead. I think this shows another interesting, it relates a little bit to what we're talking about with browsers. Google Assistant is obviously baked into most modern Android smartphones and Siri is baked into every Apple device. So you have a captive market, whereas Alexa has to fight for uh, getting people to want to buy something, which is often a, a challenge. 
And so there's actually a lot of discussion now saying that with Google Assistant also kind of having similar problems, I guess Apple not caring so much, but, you know, Siri's always been a little bit of a butt of jokes, um, that maybe that's it. Maybe this was a trend that the tech industry tried to create that was not really meant to be. And um, this is the beginning of the end of it. We'll see. I don't know. Interesting times. Uh, Lots of skeletons are coming out of the closet. And I guess we'll wait and see what happens. On the subject of uh, (laughs) tech companies having problems, this is Twitter. I'm going to focus specifically on an article here from Technology Review by Chris Stoker-Walker talking. uh, This is actually now, the headline is, here's how a Twitter engineer says it will break in the coming weeks. This was actually from a month ago, so it obviously didn't happen. But uh, talking about how from an engineering perspective, the layoffs, the uh, cutting back of key roles, of key needs and and things like that is meaning that uh, a lot of engineers and a lot of people, a lot of technical minded people uh, around looking around Twitter, sort of seeing it basically falling over back to the days of the farewell and things like that, because there's hardly anybody left to keep the lights on, let alone fix big problems. Uh, And this is including things like manual RTs reappearing uh, back in their old form. Um, follow accounts sort of getting inconsistent, pages refusing to load, lots of small bugs. I have seen a couple of these on mobile, especially. Um, rules and all sorts of things going here and there and everywhere. And so it's not it's not good times for Twitter, but seeing these little things, I think it shows you that maybe whilst we have acknowledged in this current period that there is sometimes too much fat in these tech companies, when you start to cut all of it, you realize that these people were doing something. <laughs> and that's the important lesson. I suppose it's it's all very well and good to want to be cutting fat in times of difficulty, but you have to be a little bit careful about uh, not assuming that everybody is useless uh, and a waste of time. And you do need some of these people who you think don't really do anything, but they do. And uh, yeah, still remains to be seen what's going to happen with Twitter. On the subject of things like Twitter, Mastodon, et cetera, et cetera, if you want to find my contact details and tell me about anything that you've found uh, that I've been talking about, then you can find those at christianchiller.com. I am back on Mastodon. I haven't added it to the website yet. It is Christian Schiller. So there we go. This is nothing new. This is coming out of a discussion I was having with someone. So this is from, uh, I think, about a year or so ago. Uh, Maybe you missed it, but the internet died five years ago. One here on the Atlantic and one on Medium. How this has been spreading, how basically the internet has descended into bots talking to bots and how the majority of the internet is now just automated systems kind of of running things and humans are almost being (laughs) pushed out. And that basically means the internet is dead. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's somewhat believable in some respects. It's kind of put up there as a conspiracy theory, but uh, in some cases you start to think this is not far from the truth. Really? It doesn't mean it's dead, but it certainly means it's full of noise. Uh, and there's a lot of comments here around some of these examples of this, these yeah bots having conversations with each other on Twitter. You see, uh, nicely relating to the last article, things like um, uh, chatbots talking to each other, things like voice assistants talking to each other. And we're going to get to another aspect of this in the next sort of block of links I want to discuss. 
people sort of fully acknowledging this and going to subreddits and forums and wondering how many people are actually real. Uh, does it matter? I don't know. This is sort of interesting what your aim is, I suppose. But yeah, I, someone told me about this dead internet theory and I kind of found it um, interesting to dig into a little bit. I'm, I'm late to the party, but still I found it interesting to to think... Um, to think, uh, to think about it, I, I've sort of found this, especially like if you consider the kind of more, uh, a no, the more asynchronous bot type flows as well. Things like SEO, content generated purely for SEO, so purely for machines to consume. This kind of thing, you start to see that it's quite endemic, actually, um, because so much of what is out there is for machines to process. So a lot of the internet, I think, is written for machines, which is maybe where this theory starts to hold true a lot more. That's a fascinating kind of idea to think about. Next, a whole bunch of things relating to a new show I'm working on with someone here, where we're going to be looking at um, AI-powered creative tools, sort of creative computing, computational creativity, what you want, whatever you want to call it. And we did our first uh, video on the weekend. I need to go through and edit it all. But um, so I've been looking around this field quite a lot and, and formulating a bunch of links that all relate to this. And I've got a couple that are all sort of uh, from a, a different perspective on the discussion. One is from Hannah Johnson in on Medium, UX Principles for AI Tools. Uh, and I actually noticed this a lot whilst we were going through this, how they can help you uh, figure out how to use them. There's this whole now, uh, this whole, um, this whole, uh, burgeoning career of prompt engineering trying to figure out the right way to to write words to that the ai will generate something from them which is fascinating in itself things like quality things like aspect ratio variance and then slowly whittling down what people actually want this these concepts of editing and in painting which is something i learned myself over the weekend where you can cut out a piece and say i like this but i don't like this this kind of thing um and just showing people how to use these tools, I think, is interesting. Uh, progressive loading, uh, easy saving. Yeah, taking these tools from the domain of dabblers and experimenters and AI people and into the creative process of people who use computers but are not so technical, I suppose. And uh, I found it really interesting, actually. Uh, and I noticed a lot of these problems and patterns in the tools we were evaluating. So great read if you've ever experimented with uh, with any of them. Similarly, uh, this is from Melissa Haikila on MIT Technology Review. We're getting a better idea of AI's true carbon footprint. This is uh, obviously we we kind of are fully acknowledging that a lot of computer usage has a carbon footprint that we tend to forget and ignore a lot of the time. And AI is no different. In fact, it can be often worse because there's sort of two stages to it. There's the using and there's the training. And training especially is quite intensive, but often uh, a person using has not seen that side of it. Um, and now the tech industry is, is trying to start establishing it and also simultaneously streamlining it. And it shows some examples here. So Hugging Face, we're looking at bloom training, 25 metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions, and that figure doubled when they took into account all the other inherent carbon emissions in the process, the computers, the, the electricity, the manufacturing, the training, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I don't know if it's 
any better or worse than uh, anything else. So we're looking at here a uh, one model, 50 metric tons of carbon equivalent of 60 flights. Actually, that is quite high then. It's a number that doesn't sound so high, but it is. And how we can make these more efficient in the long run, I guess, is the is the aim. So now, you know, you have blockchains looking to be more energy efficient. You have uh, things I've been looking into around making um, DevOps infrastructure more energy efficient. And now we're looking at how to make uh, learning models more efficient, I suppose, before it's too late in some respects. You know, we kind of need to make them more efficient now. And so as, as these are breaking into the mainstream with so many people just messing around with them, we have to think about, oh, I've got a cool little picture. But what did that, what was the impact of me getting that cool little picture? You know, it's, it's a problem with a lot of things online. It's very, very easy to forget about what's happening behind the scenes when you do these things because you're just interfacing with a browser window, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot that has been triggered behind the scenes from that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> what was the carbon emissions of my podcast? Oh dear. <laughs> now I'm getting concerned. Similarly, I was reading this from September, something from Newtank. What's a stable diffusion? One of the many tools we were trying to think of garbage text. So sometimes it's it's hard to even get it to do something that you are interested in when you feed in um, when you feed in text you think makes sense. But what about if you feed in absolute nonsense? Uh, and he's got some examples here: Golly, ya, holly, ma, yes, miss. <laughs> and actually, the picture is is kind of interesting. Uh, he's got sort of like an Indian-looking gentleman here from putting na anta gopa yavda ludu. Mm. <laughs> And this led into something fascinating for me we discovered whilst experimenting with this, that the AIs actually start to generate their own weird nonsense languages as well. And so sometimes you wonder, you have these prompt engineers, but what is it understanding from this, this garbage text? <laughs> What's it reading there? You know, sort of uh, quite fascinating in itself. Uh, and I found that interesting. We didn't try it in our, uh, in our experiments, but maybe we will next time. That was my links for the week then. So what I've been up to, well, I've already mentioned that we were filming this new uh, this new video series. I've been filming a lot of content before we go away back to Australia for a year and doing just a lot of filming. So there'll be a lot of videos coming out from me soon because I've just been doing all the filming and now I need to do all the editing of it. Uh, a whole bunch of different things, actually. I had quite a few in progress, some gaming ones, some tech ones, various other things. I have actually, I forgot to mention this, I finished the final draft of my novel, and I'm going to be starting putting out that soon for beta testers. So uh, sign up. Uh, if you're not on my mailing list and you're listening to the podcast version of this, sign up, head over to christianchiller.com to sign up for that, and I'll be looking for beta testers soon. And uh, yeah, I'm working on a lot of things at the moment. Um, I'm overhauling my website and then I'll tell you about them because I want to put them on my new website. So, so watch this space for that. But in the meantime, if you want to keep up to date with all the things I will be up to, keep an eye on my old website. And I'm not saying going to say there's going to be anything there, but there will be soon. So christianchiller.com. Reach out to me on Twitter, Chris Chinch. Reach out to me on Mastodon, Christian Chiller, uh, and many other outlets and avenues and I look forward to to talking to you again in a couple of weeks with a new Chinchilla Squeaks, probably with more updates. 
having a lot of creativity and um, output at the moment. And they're just all coming to a satisfactory conclusion. So lots to share with you. Um, so new videos coming out soon. And um, what did I, actually, I just put up my, uh, I'm not sure if this was ready last time I spoke to you, but I just put up my Mac OS emulation and virtualization video. It took me a long time to put together and you'll see my shirt changes colors many, many times because of it. I have to just have like a streaming shirt so I can wear the same shirt all the time. Um, and there's going to be a, a Docker desktop alternative video coming out soon and a whole bunch of other things. Actually, I've got a lot of videos in progress. So lots and lots coming very soon. And probably for the next episode, I'll have an, an interview as part of the show. So a little bit of a catch up show. If you are in Melbourne, then I, uh, let me know and we can hang out when we're there in December. And until then, until next time, thank you very much for joining me, everybody, and take care. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com, where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing, games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.